The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. We're broadcasting live from beautiful Sea Colony in Bethany Beach, Delaware. We hope you guys had a great summer. And we're here, of course, with Spencer the Wizard and the whole crew. And today, we're going to be covering a very interesting topic in neurology relating to Mike Patterson of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know Mike Patterson, six foot one, three hundred pounds, out of USC, a stalwart on the Eagles' defense. This summer, devastating news: Mike Patterson has a grand mal seizure in practice and is taken to the hospital. As a neurologist, when I heard this, I immediately thought the worst. I thought he was going to turn out to have a brain tumor or another structural problem. Why do I say that? When patients become dehydrated, they develop signs of heat stroke. We covered that earlier. And typically, they do not have a seizure. What is a seizure? A seizure is when something irritates the brain, the neurons, and it's an electrical event. And what happens is there's excitation of the neurons, and they're spread to either a focal seizure, or there's twitching of half the body, or there is loss of consciousness, or there's a major seizure, which used to be called a grand mal seizure, or a generalized seizure. In this case, Mike Patterson had a full-blown grand mal seizure. He was taken to the hospital, and imaging was complete. What was diagnosed is what you saw in ESPN, Fox News, all the news outlets, an AVM, arteriovenous malformation. The first professional athlete that I can recall, and the first that I've seen, that suffers from the diagnosis of arteriovenous malformation. What exactly is this? This is actually a congenital brain problem, a tangled mess of arteries and veins. And Mike Patterson was born with this condition. And how do these present? Number one, they present as headaches or migraines. Mike Patterson didn't have headaches. In fact, he played four years at USC eight years for the Philadelphia Eagles, no symptoms at all, and then bang, one day in training camp, he had his first seizure. Let me be clear with you fans. 
that I have, do not have access to Mike Patterson's medical records. That is, I haven't seen his MRIs, his arteriograms, and all I know is what you do, what I've seen in the newspaper and all that I've read about it. But the fascinating thing is, Mike Patterson has returned to practice for the Philadelphia Eagles. He is on anti-epileptic medications, that is, medicines to stabilize his membranes and to prevent that tangled mess of blood vessels from irritating the brain and causing a seizure. But he didn't immediately return. So here, let's talk about arteriovenous malformation. We'll refer to this as AVM. This is a tangle of abnormal arteries and veins. What happens is the heart pumps through the arterial system. This is the high-pressure arterial system, and this goes through a capillary bed, which then interfaces with veins that return it back to the heart. Over time, the high blood flow and shunting causes an enlargement of blood vessels. This could occur in different parts of the brain. And this is actually a weakening in the wall of the blood vessel, but not an aneurysm. An aneurysm is when there's one blood vessel, like a blue, that stretches and opens up. What are the similarities between aneurysms and AVMs? Well, the big concern with both of these problems is there could be an expansion and a bleeding into the brain. From what I understand, Mike Patterson didn't have bleeding into the brain, though the, the slow enlargement of this abnormal group of blood vessels caused irritation of the brain and a seizure. Apparently, he saw different experts, and they decided that, there, that this did not cause bleeding and that by preventing seizures, Mike Patterson could return to play and could have this treated electively once the season is over. When we talk about treatment of AVMs, we talk about surgical treatment, or the use of a gamma knife, which is a powerful focused beam of radiation to cauterize and remove the AVM. The surgery itself is not without risk. And frankly, it's very important to see where the location of the AVM is. Interestingly, the larger the AVM, the less likely it is to bleed. So we might be able to presume that Mike has a fairly large AVM, which irritates the brain. Smaller AVMs tend to bleed, and they tend to require earlier surgery. So a microsurgical resection of an AVM is a multi-hour procedure where a neurosurgeon will go in and remove step-by-step step the actual blood vessels, cauterize it, and resume the normal flow of activity. And the question is, where is the AVM? If the AVM is near the language center or the back part of the brain, which is called the brainstem, it's much more dangerous to operate. So certain AVMs are considered to be inoperable. There's something called a gamma knife. Gamma knife actually cauterizes and resects the AVM using radiation. It doesn't involve cutting. And patients could have a gamma knife procedure in association with the surgical removal, or if the patient is in an inoperable location, that is where going in and operating will cause a loss of language function 
or worse than that, in the brainstem, loss of vital functions, such as vision, respiration, and consciousness, then the gamma knife is an excellent option. From what I understand, Mike Patterson is considering his options, and after the season, we'll go ahead with one of these types of treatment. But after considering everything, it's up to Mike Patterson himself, okay? And he has weighed the options, spoken to his family and his doctors, and he believes there's a very real chance that by taking seizure medicine, this AVM is stable in size. But how many professional football players have AVMs? And we know that there's head injury. We know there's contact. There's physical forces. So he's going into uncharted waters. So the distillate of this is we applaud the bravery of Mike Patterson. We applaud the acumen of the four specialists, the neurosurgeons who treated Mike Patterson. And he approaches a return to the Philadelphia Eagles in the upcoming season. And all of us, Philadelphia Eagles fans, as well as all fans of football, wish Mike Patterson the best. As we near the end of the first segment, we're going to pay homage to Voice America Sports, Ray Ellis, our director, Jeff Spinard, and we want to thank them for continuing our show. Another series of sports medicine shows are going to be following through the football season, and it is through the tutelage and courage of Ray Ellis that we continue and pursue. And what you can expect is a continued dialogue talking about head injuries, spine injuries, as well as updates relating to opinions pertaining to sports. What you'll hear in the next few segments are interviews and discussions of concussion. And finally, in the last segment, what we call Week in Review, we'll talk about the first two weeks of the NFL preseason, and we'll be talking to our analyst, Spencer the Wizard, and we'll be discussing the various winners and losers of the season. We'll be talking about Tim Tebow, who fell from the presumed starting quarterback to the third string quarterback of the Denver Broncos. We'll talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, who are taking a page out of the Dream Team moniker, hopefully without the decision, who have amassed a series of draft picks and free agents. Well, they certainly laid an egg at Pittsburgh. On paper, certainly, they have made significant strides in improving their team. We'll talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers, the two teams from the Super Bowl, and how they continue to be fortifying their strength as we head into the upcoming season. So fasten your seatbelts. We're in for a wild ride. And we'll see you in three minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. Today's segment will deal with the issue of concussion. Our idea and understanding of concussions have changed so much over the last 10 years. Even as much as 10 years ago, a young athlete with a low-grade concussion would have been allowed to return back to the field. They often misnamed this as a dinger or getting your bell rung. As a result, many patients-slash-athletes have experienced very difficult sequela, that is, protracted headaches, thinking problems, and very important psychiatric side effects. So it's very important for us to look at the definition of concussion and look at the modern management of concussion. The clear definition varies among researchers, but most agree that it's a traumatic brain injury and it does not involve rupture of blood vessels. The downside of that is that traditional imaging, such as CAT scans and MRIs of the brain, will usually not show anything. And doctors may be falsely reassured to think there's no problem with the athlete. However, this injury is a cellular event. It's an injury to the neurons, which are the cells in the brain. Back when I was in training in the late 80s, We used to require a loss of consciousness, that is, somebody being fully knocked out in order to diagnose a concussion. That's changed. A lot of the research shows that less than 10% of concussions, less than 1 or 10 of real concussions involve a loss of consciousness. And also, as I said, there's typically no abnormality on standard structural imaging studies, such as CAT scans or MRIs of the brain. Okay, now, what causes a concussion? What are the forces? What's the physics behind a concussion? Well, typically, it involves an acceleration. That's something that's moving forward and something that recoils backwards, which is called a deceleration. Another important part of concussions is not only a force in a line directed at the head or the brain, 
but also the head rotating, spinning. Why do boxers get knocked out when their head spins? It's because those rotational forces produce great force to the brain. Further, if we look at sports concussions, we'll see that some of the worst, most protracted symptoms occur in people who have had rotational injury. Great example of that is the best hockey player in the world, Sidney Crosby. If you look at a slow motion video of his hit, you'll see his head forcefully rotating. So his brain is not only subject to some linear forces, that is, the hit straight forward, but also a rotary action. So these rotary forces cause tremendous injury to the brain. So I told you that a concussion happens at the cellular level, that is, in the neuron. So what happens? So you have a brain cell, it gets hit, it gets injured. So the membrane, which holds everything inside the cell, gets disrupted. So potassium, which is a very important part of the inner portion of the cell, tends to leak out of the cell, and this causes a triggered release of something called glutamate or glutamic acid. This is an excitatory amino acid. So this becomes what we call a positive feedback cycle. That means bad things are happening. So you've got potassium leaking out. All of a sudden, glutamate, you know, basically is recruited in the area. That's a very irritating, uh, injurious type of chemical. And then there's something called a pump. So what happens is the neuron tries to help itself. So the pump starts increasing activity. The only problem is you use, you use up all your energy. So what are, what's the energy? This is ATP. Going back to uh, nightmarish chemistry, ATP is adenosine triphosphate. So ATP is the energy we have, and also sugar gets utilized. So all this happens, and what builds up? Something called lactic acid. Lactic acid's a bad guy. So let's go over this again. It's a little complicated. Injury to the neuron. The membrane, the outer portion, gets disrupted. Calcium leaks out. Glutamate gets recruited. Then more potassium, more glutamate. Then the neuron says, I got a problem here. I got to start pumping out this, uh, this bad stuff. So what happens? The brain then utilizes energy in a way, overuses its storehouse of ATP and glucose. And lactic acid, a bad guy, develops. So I hope you're with me so far. So when lactic acid develops, what happens is, the blood flow to that area of the brain decreases. So if you guys remember back in the 80s with Jimmy Carter, some of you weren't as old as me, hopefully, there was something called an energy crisis. You know what happened? There wasn't a lot of gasoline, and we called that an energy crisis. Well, guess what? When you lose your ATP, you lose your glucose, and all you've got is a waste product called lactic acid, and your blood flow to the brain diminishes, this is an energy crisis. Another bad guy, calcium is great when it comes to bone, but it's not something you want to have around your neurons. So basically, calcium also accumulates in the cells. So you've got potassium leaking out of the cells. You've got calcium surging in through the cells. We're losing blood flow. We're losing energy. And all of this culminates in actual cell death. That is, the neurons die. However, they are such that a small amount of neurons die to the extent that it's less than what can be resolved on an MRI or CAT scan.
There's also a diminished metabolic state. That is, the brain just doesn't work well. And this happens to four weeks after injury. So we wonder, why do people who have concussions have difficulty with brain function? It's because this is going on. Those cells are just not working. So what do you have? You have people with slowness, fogginess, difficulty speaking, difficulty seeing, difficulty processing visual information. This do this is due to the death of certain neurons. It's also due to the fact that certain brain cells are stunned. They may eventually recover. And so in the first four weeks, typically, you'll see the worst effects of a concussion. Typically, you will not see a delayed worsening of brain function. That's some small good news here. When you have a brain injury, it's not like you get you get bad, then you start. It's not like you are maximally injured in the first four weeks. You're getting better, and then a year later, you have a setback. That doesn't happen. So when you see that as a neurologist, you have to think, is something else going on? Sometimes it might be a psychological part of it. That is, patients often get very frustrated, very depressed. They're sometimes, for instance, a minor league hockey player I just saw. He's 29 years old. He lost his whole career. So when somebody is unable to work, unable to make money, they're isolated, they're staying at home, plus there's a brain injury, particularly to the temporal lobes, which is a part of the side of the brain, what happens is people get depressed. So you can't see a delayed worsening relating to a psychiatric problem, but with respect to brain function, if you as a doctor or a trader see somebody who has a stepwise decline, you should think about something else going on. Girls are reported to have a higher rate of concussion than boys in similar sports. There's no scientific reason that has been delineated yet, but some believe that female athletes have neck muscles that are not quite as well developed, and therefore that acceleration and deceleration, that motion is more because the neck is less capable of resisting the force. Also, it might be due to, it might be due to reporting. That is, male athletes may be less likely to report their concussions and symptoms. So it may be that there are more male concussions than is recognized. Okay, so that therefore, if the if the girls are more likely to report the symptoms and the concussions. It may be that the research is skewed so that, in fact, many of the male concussions are simply underreported. Let's go over the signs of concussion. Physical signs. Headache, often mimicking a migraine. Nausea, vomiting, difficulty with balance. Tiredness. Light and sound are very annoying to people with concussions. Also, Cognitive, that means thinking, how the brains are working. They might repeat the same question over and over. They might be just slow about the reactions. Trouble remembering, trouble concentrating, feeling foggy. Emotional issues, very irritable, very sad, very nervous. And a very big symptom is sleep disorders, that is insomnia. Again, that's magnified by anxiety and depression. So when I treat patients, one of the first things I try to do is, number one, if they have a headache, try to give them some analgesics that will help them with respect to their pain. Another thing is to help them restore their sleep hygiene. There's certain sleeping pills we use. 
something called Ambien. Zoldepem is the generic. There's a drug called Lunesta. And there are certain drugs that we used to use to induce sleep, which are actually not very good for patients with concussions. The Valium family, there's a big name called benzodiazepines. That's a big name. We won't ask you to repeat that one. But that is drugs like Dalmain and Restoril that were used many years ago to induce sleep actually have a very bad side effect. You know what that is? Memory loss, accumulation of metabolites, that is breakdown products, which further will increase the, the lack of performance or therefore decrease the performance of the brain. So I usually use Ambien or Lunesta. I try to stay away from Valium, Xanax, Restoril, all those medicines, because they tend to suppress and inhibit brain function. So we're really moving along with our understanding of concussion. We're going to take a three-minute break, and we're going to get back to how do we treat concussions. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. We're back. We're continuing to talk about how we as neurologists treat concussions. How do we manage concussions? The goal is to try to promote recovery and to try to educate the athlete, the parents, the trainers, the coaches, so that the athlete avoids activities and situations that may slow recovery. Now, we're up against a lot with this in the sense that we're up against the athletes who feel that it's not becoming to miss time, that they're letting down their team, and we're trying to instill the fact that the best treatment of concussion early on is to rest the brain. That is, to not overstimulate the brain. And that means for students to be away from school for a time, to be away from computers, texting, Facebook, Twitter, and all of that stuff that we rely upon. And it's important we mention that because 
Some athletes might stay home, and all of a sudden, they're involved in text wars, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. It's very important to rest the brain. It's also important for the parents of athletes to realize and to not be in denial that their kid suffered a concussion. And particularly dads, and I happen to be part of the male gender, are extremely resistant to the idea that their child might need time off of work. And they might say, back in my day, when we got our bells rung, they just ask us to hold up two figures and set us back in the game. So sometimes the, 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 the parents are actually barriers to treatment. That's where some of the testing comes in. There's impact testing, axon testing. There's something called SCAT1, SCAT2. It's important that we subject the athletes to testing of their brains. And when they test very poorly, not only does that help us learn exactly what we have to work on, but it's also important to, to like hold up the results of the parents' faces and say, hey, listen, this is your kid. He only has one brain. And sometimes you need that objective testing to convince parents that appropriate treatment is indicated. The modern treatment of concussion is very new. That is, much of the literature has evolved within the last five years. That means that as far as medications that have been utilized for concussion, a large part of it is what we call empiric. That is, the doctor thinks it might work, so they use it. But as far as any really good large research... There is no evidence-based research regarding the use of any particular medication to accelerate the healing process of the brain. However, there are certain medicines that should be avoided because when the brain is injured, there may be a small amount of bruising or bleeding that may evade detection by CAT scan or MRI of the brain. So therefore, if you use a medicine that encourages bleeding, such as aspirin, ibuprofen, which is otherwise known as Motrin or Advil, or Naproxen, otherwise known as Aleve, or any of the other milieu of platelet-inhibiting non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents. These are not indicated because they could encourage what might be a tiny little bleed or leakage of blood to become a full-fledged cerebral hemorrhage. So that is one group of medicines that are to be avoided. As I noted in the prior segment, there are certain drugs that tend to inhibit brain function as you know, a consequence of what they're doing. For instance, Valium, Xanax, all of those type of drugs, they're good for anxiety because they help calm people down. The only problem is, as a side effect, they make people lose their memory, at least temporarily. So benzodiazepines, Valium, Restoril, Transy, all these medicines should be avoided. So we want to avoid aspirin, ibuprofen, and benzos. What medications are used? Well, I've been all around. I've crossed the country several times in search of the ideal treatment for concussions, and this is a work in progress. At the University of Pittsburgh, Dr. Mickey Collins advocates the usage of a drug which allows enhancement of dopamine. So dopamine apparently is a good guy in the brain, when it comes to treating symptoms of concussion, there's a drug called amantadine. Usually, start at 100 milligrams, make sure it's well tolerated, and then go to two pills a day. So patients particularly who have 
resistant symptoms. That is, they go weeks or months, and they're not getting better. They're dizzy, they're off balance, they're slow. Amantadine stimulates dopamine and essentially is an agonist. That is, it acts like dopamine and has been, at least anecdotally, been used safely and effectively by doctors at the University of Pittsburgh. And they're a lot of the same doctors who invented the impact testing. We've also found in our practice at Grossinger Neuropain Specialists that in school-age kids, teenagers particularly, who are having difficulty thinking and remembering, and particularly scoring poorly on standardized, computerized tests like impact, they tend to do very well on medicines that have a stimulatory effect, a drug called Adderall, and other amphetamine-like drugs can be used safely and effectively. The thing about these drugs is they shouldn't be used willy-nilly. They should be prescribed by neurologists or experienced sports medicine doctors because they're highly controlled substances. They can be abused if they fall in the wrong hands. But in our experience, they can have a great effect, at least to be used temporarily until the brain recovers. And this is very important for students, particularly teenagers who are in the process of trying to get into college, trying to keep their grades up, and they often have homebound instructors, and it's very key to get them back to school and to get, it, to get them thinking. So while this, while this class of drugs hasn't been extensively studied, certainly not to prove that they are effective, I can tell you that we've used them successfully and when they work, they really work. We also have been very adept at treating headaches. As neurologists, we are the headache doctors. We treat migraines, cluster headaches, muscle tension headaches. It's our job to treat migraines. And there's some great drugs out there. There's a group called the Triptans. What they do is they stimulate a receptor in the brain called the serotonin receptor. Some of these trade names you may have heard of, Imitrex, Relpax, Maxalt, just to name a few. And these drugs, the nice thing about them, they're not inhibitory. They don't slow the brain down. They don't cause memory loss. They don't cause sedation. And they're not controlled or classified. So they're not something that anybody would abuse. So we use this class of drugs to treat the headaches early on. There's also some combination analgesic agents which uh, I'll, I'll name some trade names, Estric Plus and Midrin. They're basically a combination of various medicines, including aspirin. Again, we don't want to use that early on when there's a suspicion of bleeding. Tylenol, caffeine, and some butalbital, which at a very low dose does not have a substantially diminishing effect on cognitive function. So we use combination analgesics, these pills that are mixtures of drugs, and we also use tryptian medicines, which are very selective for migraine headaches, for severe headaches. They're great for people who have light and sounded sensitivity, uh, visual symptoms in association with headaches, and what we call post-traumatic headaches with migraineous features. That is, a class of headaches that mimic migraines and are severe and debilitating, though occur as a consequence of a concussion. There's some experimental treatments that are being used anecdotally. 
There's something called hyperbaric oxygen. That's a special chamber that has oxygen, which you know is the important ingredient in the air for breathing. And a patient will go to a hyperbaric tank. And they might get 60-minute treatments over a series of weeks or months. Certain athletes who have been reported to have benefit from hyperbaric is Harry Carson, who's one of the leaders of the NFL Concussion Initiative, the captain of the 1986 Super Bowl Giants. He's a very big proponent of hyperbaric oxygen. Recently in the paper, it was reported that Terry Bradshaw also suffers from memory loss and possibly chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that he went to California, and when he was there, he received a series of hyperbaric oxygen treatments. So listeners, let me be clear that nobody has proved, largely because of the studies, they just don't exist yet. This stuff is all very new. It's evolving in front of our eyes. We can't say for sure that hyperbaric oxygen helps. But it seems to be something fairly benign, kind of like chicken soup, and it probably can't hurt. And if your son or daughter is suffering from months of concussions, has tried everything, hyperbaric oxygen may be worth a try. Again, the insurance company isn't going to pay for it because it's not an FDA-approved modality for treating concussion. So unfortunately, there are certain things in medicine that you have to you know, reach in your wallet and pay for and, and certainly hyperbaric oxygen would fall squarely in that category. There's some other diseases such as wound care. If you remember uh, T.O., if you're a, an Eagles fan, T.O. had a foot surgery, a fracture, and he came back to play the Super Bowl, and he had a series of hyperbaric treatments for wound care. Also with burn care, hyperbaric is FDA approved, and it, it is paid for by insurance companies. But again, I want to emphasize that this, like many so-called experimental treatments, has not been proven, and therefore, typically, or I'd say always, insurance companies will not pay for hyperbaric oxygen sessions in patients with concussion. So again, there are many treatments of concussion. At the core is something called cognitive rest. That may include a leave of absence from school, shortening of the athlete's school day, reduction in workload and exertion. And as part of the recovery, there will be an acceleration of exertion, training, and eventually, when cleared by a physician, a return to the sport. This concludes the second segment of Concussion, and we hope you'll join us in three minutes for the next segment. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the fourth and final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. This is the August 2011 edition. We're here with Spencer the Wizard, and we have a lot to talk about. We're breaking down the first two weeks of the preseason. Remember, this was a lockout-shortened session, and we're right on the precipice of the new season beginning in September. Welcome to the show, Spencer. And what topics would you like to cover today? Uh, hey, Bruce. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I would just like to cover football and the preseason and to also predict the regular season and possibly who might be standing on that podium as a Super Bowl champion. Well, when we look at it, uh, the Eagles were very active in the offseason. Uh, Joe Banner, the capologist, as well as Howie Roseman, the young wetback general manager, seemed to have acquired a whole boatload of good free agents, a good draft. And up until that Steelers preseason game, people were talking as if, it, as if they were the Miami Heat, as if they had quartered the market on free agencies. But we saw the game, and uh, particularly the linebackers for the Eagles, Casey, Casey Matthews looked like he was caught in a tsunami of big, burly Pittsburgh blockers. Michael Vick threw three interceptions in the first half, and they were down 21 nothing. What's your assessment of the Eagles? Well, football is a game where you have 11 players lined up on both sides. For the Miami Heat, they are like the Philadelphia Eagles because the Miami Heat had three great players in Bosch, James, and Wade, and then the rest of the players were average or even below average. The Eagles have actually, both sides of the ball have impressive players, but they still have holes. They are not a complete unit. Um, Casey Matthews at linebacker as a middle linebacker. I think that a middle linebacker is the most important position in the NFL. If you look at the great defenses, you look at Baltimore has Ray Lewis, Chicago has Brian Erlacher. The middle linebacker is the quarterback of the defense. It's supposed to lead the other players, tell the other players what to do, be the anchor of the defense. And you have a rookie leading Oshawa, Cromartie, veterans like Samuel, 
it's so much pressure for a rookie like Casey Matthews to do this. And Casey Matthews slipped, slipped to the fourth round. And you could see why. He's only six foot one, which, which is very, very small for a linebacker. So stopping the run for the Philadelphia Eagles might be a little bit of a challenge. In my opinion, they need to sign a veteran linebacker just to stable things, and they need to ease Matthews into this process. He could be a great, he could be a good player um, in his career. But I'm looking at him being effective more down the road and throwing him into the fire like this um, is just a lot of pressure for the for the linebacker. Um, so stopping the run um, is is you know very uh, is very crucial. Then you look at Michael Vick um, and the quarterback situation there. Um, he threw three interceptions, but it's it's preseason. So, I, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't buy much into it. Uh, you still saw the zip on his passes. He still has that zip. He he just um, he just was forcing it, and, and he's a little rusty too. You know, everyone's got a late start on the season. Come week one, everyone will be serious. And the Steelers are a good defense, but even though he had a horrible statistical game, it's preseason football, and he he still is Michael Vick. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy. He's still going to be good. Let's quickly go around the league. Um, you and I watch a lot of Jets, Giants, and Eagles football. Very impressive win for the New York Jets. New York Giants so far free agency disappointment. Why don't you hit on your two New York teams? Uh, we have a lot to talk about, so very concisely, let's talk about a quick analysis for both teams. For the two New York teams, you see one team is on the rise, and one team is kind of is definitely declining. Um, you see the New York Jets, the owner um, or general manager, um, Mike Tannenbaum. He's out. He's getting football players. He's being aggressive. He wants a ring. They signed Burris. They got Cromartie back. I know that they let Ashamwa go. I know that Braylon couldn't stay. But the Jets are on the cusp of doing something great. Um, you know, two AFC Championship appearances. Rex Ryan has his team confident. Sanchez, another year under his belt. He'll be back. The Jets are one of my Super Bowl favorites this year. The Giants, on the other hand, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're saving money for something, if they want to suddenly rebuild out of nowhere. OCU Minura, just a whole mess this offseason. Now he's having knee surgery. Um, I feel bad for OC. The Giants are, are you know, grossly underpaying him. Um, he, he's one of the best D linemen in the league, and he has a case in asking for more money. Then they let Kevin Bosco. I'm a Giants fan. And truthfully, I don't know who their tight end even is right now. So that's saying a lot because you need to block for your running back. Um, the, the Giants still have some decent players on offense like Hakeem, the Dream Knicks. 
you know, you know, Mario Manningham. They let Steve Smith go too, but they, I guess they thought that Steve Smith would continue with his injury troubles. So if Steve Smith is healthy, he's a good slot receiver. The Giants just haven't done anything to improve. They've just let players go. Um, so, you know, maybe the, maybe those players behind the scenes weren't good in the locker room or, or who knows. But, you know, I, I think the Jets are going to be good. And, and right now the Giants, uh, they, they, I think they've even uh, gotten worse than, uh, than last year. So we've hit some of the teams. We've hit certainly the Eastern Corridor. We've touched upon, uh, we mentioned the Steelers at least. i very impressed with Roethlisberger, very impressed with Hyde Ward, Mendenhall. Uh, certainly the Steelers, uh, uh, they've had some uh, off-season gaffes with Mendenhall and with, uh, and, and with the big linebacker who was um, – James Harrison, who literally saying things, even though we're on an internet radio station, we can't really uh, respond, you know, that basically we can allude to the fact that if uh, I've never heard a player say that if the commissioner catches on fire, he wouldn't urinate on him to put out the fire. That, That was certainly... Something that appeared in a prominent magazine. I, I, if I was Goodell, I uh, I wouldn't take kindly to those words. That's not a great thing to hear. Yeah, it's I, not so good. Not so good. Um, Dad, if you were in a fire, like I, I'd probably at least urinate on you. You know, if that's okay. Well, um, uh, in one hand, I'm flattered on the other. I don't know why we're talking about that when it comes to football, but. So James Harrison, I, I think he got a free pass there because the, the league, you know, at that point the commissioner didn't technically have jurisdiction over Harrison. It was the offseason. But I'm sure if Harrison uh, looks at him cross-eyed, if he does anything that's borderline, I'm sure Roger Goodell will be looking to slam him as always. But in any event, let's not t- dwell on that. Let's move over to one of your favorite players again. Other than Jibber Fredette, his evil twin, Tib Tebow. <laughs> give us his, give us your analysis. Not his evil twin, his evil cherub, Tim Tebow. Okay, well, you look at Tim Tebow. Uh, <laughs> he is one of my favorite players. Uh, you, you have to, uh, you have to feel bad for the guy in a sense. You know, people were saying uh, two months ago before the season started, everybody thought Orton would be traded. And eventually he didn't. The Dolphins went with Matt Moore instead. Uh, Kyle Orton is stranded in Denver. Kyle Orton is, is an, is a, he's, he's okay. He's a middle of the road quarterback. He could show bright spots and bad spots. He's totally average. At best, he's a B quarterback. Um, he he must have done better in practice. He had a good preseason game last week. He's a B quarterback. Um, but but Tim Tebow, the mindset's a little difficult. You think I could see where he's coming from when he complained. Uh, you you think that you're going to be the starting quarterback, and and then and then Orton stays. But you know what? That's life in the NFL. It's a business. Players have had much worse situations when they've been traded to dead cities or, or dead teams that, that are not on the rise and have to remain there for a long time. So, um, you know, 
for him to complain, uh, you know, he, he sort of should just, like, live with the problem and try to make better on it. He had a great game versus Dallas uh, where he went 6-for-7 in the first week. And then the second week, I think he had an average performance. But in practice, I've heard he's been doing very poorly. Um, so I haven't been there at the practices, and I, I haven't really heard um, what has been going on. Brady Quinn is a Brady Quinn is a good quarterback though. He's a he's actually a great backup quarterback. He can maybe even start for most teams. He's young. He has zip in his fro, um, and he's he's pretty good. So for Tebow to now be the third string quarterback, um, it isn't embarrassing. It's just it's just kind of more of a sad thing, um, you know. So that's Tim Tebow. Um, also. Yes, a very popular discussion is Merrill Hodge on ESPN has been has been um, criticizing Tim Tebow. Um, so you know, Bruce, why don't we go into talking about Merrill's words and maybe our opinions if Merrill's true or not true? Yes, Hodge, of course, is a controversial analyst. He he had an excellent career for the Steelers. This is before you were board Spencer. But he was a really tough, gritty running back. His career ironically ended with a post-concussion syndrome, although he doesn't seem to have CTE. Uh, he, he seems to be pretty sharp. Um, he basically called Tebow's accuracy awful and said that there's no way he should be starting in the NFL. He said it's like a Clydesdale running in the Kentucky Derby. Like We look at Clydesdale with those furry feet, those high-stepping. You don't see them winning the Kentucky Derby. He also particularly took aim at the mechanics of Tebow, that, and, and he watches a lot of film, that whenever Tebow's in trouble or he gets flushed out, he, he, he holds the ball down really low, and his release point is so low that he just can't throw it over the uh, defensive lineman. And so far, for those who have been attending practice for the Broncos, they see that Tebow is lapsing back to the same old habits, and obviously... Uh, John Elway, who's really in charge over there, would love to see Tebow do well. He's a very popular player. But Brady Quinn, I think, is coming out of it nicely. Orton is, like you say, a very serviceable quarterback. Nothing flashy, but I just think they're afraid of putting Tebow in and just and just having it be a disaster. Personally, I think Denver's being is really being not intelligent or in other words, stupid about this whole process. You drafted Tim Tebow last year in the first round. He is your future franchise quarterback down the road. You have faith in this guy. This guy has overcome every challenge that has been faced with him. Give the kid a shot because if Orton struggles this year, then the fans are with Tebow right now in Denver. You know, everybody wants to see Tim Tebow and at least give the kid a shot. You look at the the the, the rising young quarterbacks, and this is an age of rising young quarterbacks. You threw Matt Ryan, your first-round draft pick, into the fire. Look where he is now. He's, he's on the rise. Flacco, Mark Sanchez, Sam Bradford had a great year with letting him start. you got to let your quarterbacks start as a rookie or at least in their second year because even if Tim Tebow gets in this year, there's always he's always going to see Orton on the sidelines. Orton's going to be in his head. When Orton's starting this year, Tim Tebow's going to be in his head. They should have cut Kyle Orton this year. They should just have Tebow there, and Tebow should be the guy in Denver. He should 
to be at least fulfilling his career. You got to give him a chance on Sunday. You look at Jeff Garcia. He was awful in practice. You know what? He was a great NFL quarterback when it came time on Sunday. Um, Merrill Hodges giving Tim Tebow some uh, some incur- some some motivation, and Tim Tebow always takes the high road. He's consistent. He's cool. Um, and I think Tim Tebow's going to be a great success. Last year, he showed flashes of brilliance. The wide receivers are all with Tim Tebow, um, and you you just got to um, you got to roll with this guy. Um, and you know, I, I do believe in the theory that hard work beats beats talent um, that doesn't work hard. I do believe in that, but and I also believe that hard work can solve problems and. Um, you know the kid is just in his second year, but but you got you got to just figure out that QB situation because Denver, I guarantee that they're going to have trouble at quarterback this year. Well, this concludes this edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. We certainly covered a lot of ground today. We covered arteriovenous malformations in Mike Patterson, a unique situation a chance to talk about neurology and brain disease. And I hope you all found that educational. We had two segments on update on concussion as we headed to the new season, very important. And finally, we did around the league NFL update and analysis with Spencer the Wizard. We thank all the listeners. I can tell you we have a growing pool of listeners, and it's only going to get better this year. Lastly, if anybody wants any commentary or any discussion Anything at all, Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. That's Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Send us an email, and we'll respond to it. So in any event, good day and good sports. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.